You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. The issue of international students learning at Canadian schools is complex, with a lot of stakeholders and a lot of nuance. However, there are a few aspects to it that are very simple. First, the number of international students that Canada admits annually has surged by incredible amounts in recent years. Second, those students pay a ton of money to study here, and they don't always get what they're paying for. Finally, all of those students, as many as a million of them in Canada right now, need somewhere to live. Now, everyone can and does debate the merits of the for-profit international student model, but those are the facts. And over the past year, momentum had been building for the federal government staring down the barrel of a worsening housing crisis and terrible polls to do something, to take action. On Monday, they did. We are setting a national application intake cap for a period of two years. For 2024, the cap is expected to result in approximately 364,000 approved study permits, a decrease of 35%. Today, we will explain the trickier aspects of the international student issue and why the federal government finally made a move here. How much will the government's new cap help? And how quickly? Was this really the best way to achieve the desired result? And how did we get to the point where such drastic, blunt action was necessary in the first place? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Laura Dillon Kane is the Ottawa Bureau Chief for Bloomberg News. Back in the fall, she discussed with us if the government would move to cap student visas. And uh, Laura, here we are. They have. They have. Um, you know, and I recall back in the fall, I was much more skeptical that they would take that step. And I think it was because they were trying to work through some discussions they were having with provinces about this issue, and they were hoping that they wouldn't have to take this step. They wanted provinces to set higher standards for designated learning institutes. Those discussions seem to have not really gone the way that they had hoped. You know, in many ways, they have presented this kind of a cap as a a last resort. You know, back in the fall, Mark Miller was describing this as a step he didn't want to take as sort of a blunt instrument Hmm. rather than sort of the fine tuning of the program that they would have preferred, you know, as the numbers have skyrocketed and placed additional strain on the housing market in Canada. So here we are. It's basically the start of a new year. The Liberals are at their cabinet retreat and the immigration minister wanted to send a strong message that he is acting on this issue right? uh, and get that out there to Canadians, but also to the provinces, colleges and universities. In a moment, we'll get into the specifics of this announcement and what it means. But first, just for context, I was having a conversation about the international student issue last week, and somebody used the phrase strip mall diplomas. Can you kind of explain what they mean in the context around that? Yes. So much of the explosive growth that we've seen in foreign student numbers has been at colleges, not universities like the very highly regarded universities, Toronto and McGill. UBC, um, though they do bring in large numbers of foreign students, 
the most explosive growth has been at colleges and primarily in Ontario. And that actually does largely mean public colleges. So I want to explain something that I think is not always well understood. The drastic growth has largely happened at public colleges that are partnering with private colleges to kind of create satellite campuses Hmm. all over the province, primarily in Ontario, though there are, you know, large numbers growing in other provinces as well. And so these satellite campuses allow these public colleges that are maybe located in further flung parts of Ontario to draw large numbers of foreign students to areas like Brampton, Kitchener, communities where there's already some base for uh, the Indian diaspora in particular and foreign students. Right. So they bring the students there. They learn at these private colleges, but they learn the public school's curriculum that allows them to earn the public school's diploma and therefore they're eligible for a postgraduate work permit. And that's really crucial because the postgraduate work permit allows you to get Canadian work experience and eventually apply for permanent residency. So sort of the top 10 schools that have seen the most explosive growth in foreign students, nine of 10 are generally public colleges in Ontario that have set up these satellite campuses in strip malls, in temporary buildings. You know, Mark Miller described today students attending schools above a massage parlor Hmm. so that they can eventually become an Uber driver. Right. So these diplomas are not helpful to them in terms of actual labor market outcomes, but they at least allow them to get a foot in the door to get some Canadian work experience on the path to permanent residency. Uh, You mentioned massive growth. How many international students have we been taking on uh, and how has that trended over the past number of years to get us to where we are today? The growth is extraordinary. So we more than tripled our numbers of foreign student permit holders in the country over 10 years. So essentially in 2013, it was about 300,000. Last year, we ended up over a million. Wow. And that number really ramped up sort of post-pandemic even. So even in the last few years, we've seen extraordinary increases. And it's just in this unchecked area of our immigration system where there's been no overall cap on foreign student numbers. It's not as though the federal government has just been rubber stamping every single visa approval that comes through, but the approval rate's generally around 50 to 60%. So as long as colleges keep putting forward more applications, you know, the same portion gets approved. Mm -hmm. So the numbers keep going up. So from 300,000 up to over a million in uh, six, seven years, what is the new cap? What was announced today? So today, a cap was announced that will limit the number of new visas approved this year to about 360,000. It's a 35% decrease from how many visas were actually approved last year. So essentially, there are a million foreign student permit holders in the country right now. Visas are given on a three-year basis. So if 360,000 are approved this year, that number will increase to 1.36 million. Okay. And the devil will also be in the details in terms of how it's worked out among provinces. So the immigration minister announced today that it's going to be distributed fairly among provinces based on their population. So some provinces that have seen huge increases, particularly Ontario, in the foreign student population will see a significant decrease as a result. Now they're just only going to get enough permits to sort of account for their population. Hmm. That means, you know, with Canada's most populous province, they'll still get the most, but it'll be way less than the current allocation. I mean, currently, more than half of those 1 million are in Ontario. And it'll also be up to provinces to kind of allocate the permits that they do receive. So that adds extra incentive on provinces 
to actually select and prioritize those higher quality institutions for those visas. There's been a lot of debate, I was going to say recently, but I mean, going back to before the last time where we spoke to you in the fall about the impact of international students specifically on things like uh, the housing market and the labor market. And I guess my question is, what do we actually know by now in terms of the impact of these uh, one million plus international students last year? What can we actually say for sure? Well, we do know that the rate of temporary immigrants has been rising much faster than that of permanent residents. And it's important to make that distinction. So the federal government sets an annual cap for permanent residents. And last year was about 500,000. Meanwhile, the number of temporary residents increased by about 800,000 at least in sort of the 12-month period leading to October 1st. We don't yet have the fourth quarter statistics for that. So that pushed our population growth rate to 3.2%. That's one of the fastest rates in the world. You know, according to 2021 data, the only country that grew faster than that was Niger in Africa. Mm. Like that's how fast Canada is growing. And that's based on temporary immigrants, foreign students and temporary foreign workers. So it is pushing up our population growth rate to a level that the federal government hadn't planned for, that no municipal or provincial government had planned for, and that is having real consequences. Um, We have seen rents rise at double-digit levels over the past year. Places like Brampton, Brampton saw a 16% rent increase in one year. That is definitely due to increased demand amid a dearth of supply. Housing starts are not keeping pace at all with the growth in population, particularly over the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. So I think it is fair to draw a link between housing prices and rents and increased demand through temporary immigration. That's fair. It's harder when you get down to sort of a granular level to say, okay, well, how much are housing prices driven by this given all the structural factors at play, you know, decades of underbuilding, you know, the federal government getting out of the housing game in the 90s. There's all kinds of different reasons why we have expensive housing in Canada, but massive increases in demand are clearly having an impact on prices amid very, very short supply. So far, we've talked about uh, the impact of this move and the impact of the international student movement in general uh, on Canadians and on Canadian cities. Uh, But maybe explain from the point of view of an international student or a hopeful international student why a cap like this uh, might be necessary. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to think about because you might think, you know, it would be disappointing to a lot of prospective international students. Uh, and countries around the world looking to Canada going, wait, what's going on that, you know, they're going to permit fewer of us to attend next year. But I think we have found that there are large numbers of international students in Canada who have not gotten the experience they promised. You know, it made headlines when a Brampton food bank banned international students because the demand was too high. Mm-hmm. International students were coming here and being absolutely shocked by the cost of housing, the cost of food cost of transportation, and they were paying, you know, as much as five times what Canadians were paying for the same education. And in many cases, they were getting an education that was subpar, did not match up with labor market need. And they were finding, you know, Statistics Canada has shown that international student graduates 
make less than their Canadian counterparts on average for at least the first five years after graduation. Right. It has been an exploitative system for a lot of Indian families, and it is primarily India. Um, it is the rise of the global middle class in general, but largely India. I mean, the number of Indian students in Canada has increased tenfold over the past decade. They are driving the massive growth. And there are recruiters working in India or colleges based here who are drawing in huge numbers of students on the promise of eventual permanent residency in Canada, but also a decent education. People do take out loans to come to Canada to to pay for tuition, to pay for housing, or they you know, might mortgage their property, they might dip deep into savings. This is a huge gamble for a lot of families abroad, mm-hmm. you know, to pick sort of one child of theirs who they have high hopes for to get them to Canada by any means, and for them to come here and not receive a quality education, to struggle with the cost of living, and then maybe to wind up going home anyway. That's not good for Canada's reputation. Right. And that's not good for our efforts to attract immigrants who are going to contribute to our society and be happy living here. The last part of this equation I'll ask you about is the schools themselves. And for sure, strip mall campuses um, are going to be targeted by this. But lots of other uh, more reputable schools, I'm sure, will feel it. And and I've read stories in the past about uh, the amount of total revenue that international students can make up for some of Canada's uh, biggest universities. What's going to happen there? Yes, I think that's a really important question because international student numbers have exploded as, you know, funding from provinces has dwindled. You know, it has not kept pace with inflation in most provinces. In Ontario in particular, the share of funding that has been given to universities and colleges has declined Ontario also has had a tuition freeze in place for Canadian students for about three years. And universities and colleges, public colleges, which are setting up those strip mall campuses, in some cases, they're trying to turn a big profit. But in other cases, they're just trying to keep operating. You know, international students are paying the price so that Canadian students can have a more affordable education. Mm -hmm. And so this is going to impact them. I think part of the federal government's calculus here is trying to pressure provinces to step up in terms of funding. Uh, That has been something that Mark Miller has pointed to several times, that provinces are underfunding universities, and this is the consequence. Hmm. So he has been speaking with Ontario and British Columbia. He said today those talks have been productive. We'll see where they go. But I, I do think they want to see Premier Doug Ford's government increase that funding for colleges and universities so that they don't have to rely so much on foreign students to make up the gap. I know just announced policy is always uh, tricky to parse, but what else in here stands out to you as something that could uh, make an impact one way or another on uh, international students, on the housing issue, on which uh, schools survive and don't and all that stuff? Well, so I know I got a little bit in the weeds with discussing sort of these public-private partnerships, but they are so important because these partnerships between public colleges and private institutions have allowed foreign students to attend private schools but receive diplomas that bear the public college's name. Hmm. And that has in turn allowed them to get a postgraduate work permit. And that has been 
thought to be a sort of a crucial pathway to permanent residency. You get a postgraduate work permit, you get Canadian work experience, and then you can put that on your application for permanent residency. And today, Mark Miller announced that those private-public partnerships will no longer be eligible for postgraduate work permits. I think that right off the bat, we're going to see a massive decline in enrollment at those colleges. And they may have to shut down some of those satellite campuses, honestly. I'm not sure how they continue to attract foreign students without being able to offer that postgraduate work permit. Hmm. Another thing they announced was that that only the spouses of international students in master's and postdoctoral programs will be eligible for open work permits. So that means that spouses of students in other levels of study can't work while they're here. So there's much less incentive to bring your spouse here. And so both of those measures sort of really reducing the amount that people can work here in addition to study is, I think, going to really make going to one of these colleges in Ontario way less attractive for a foreign student. So that's going to be pretty significant. When it comes to the housing crisis, Mike Moffat of the Smart Prosperity Institute, and who used to actually advise Justin Trudeau Mm -hmm. from 2013 to 2015 before he became prime minister, he said capping foreign student visas was the single biggest thing we can do to immediately address the housing crisis. So that's pretty significant. I think all of these measures announced today are going to have a really fairly meaningful impact on housing demand in Canada. And the federal government has also brought in like this designated learning institute framework to prioritize visas for higher quality institutions. And that will also come into effect in the fall semester. All of that is to say, I think we will see a dramatic change in the makeup of Canada's campuses as of September 1st. Laura, thank you so much for this. Um, It's really complex and I understand it a lot better now. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Laura Dillon Kane, reporting for Bloomberg News out of Ottawa. That was the big story for more from us, including, yes, Laura's appearance this past fall, where she spoke about the potential cap on international students that is now a reality. You can head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. A big thank you to everyone who has written to us uh, over the past few days and weeks asking us to tackle how immigration relates to the housing crisis. This is one aspect of that. It's worth taking a look at the larger issue of Canada's immigration targets and how realistic they are for the infrastructure that we have. That episode is coming your way soon. If you'd like to suggest an episode or let us know how you feel about one, we're going to be doing an entire bonus episode soon featuring your feedback. You can get in touch with us at hello at thebigstorypodcast.ca or you can leave us a voicemail 416-935-5935. Let us know if you'd like us to play your voicemail in that special episode. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now.